we're gonna edit that part out. So uh, only my. <laughs> That's funny. That was awesome. Welcome, 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 welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast presented by Hippo Direct. This is episode 100, and this is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur or innovator every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, digital marketing and podcasting dude at Hippo Direct, and you can reach me at max at hippodirect.com for help using your podcast as a marketing tool. This is episode 100, and it is absolutely nuts. But before we get into it, I do want to say some words. I am truly, truly, incredibly grateful for everyone who's taken any ounce of time to listen to the podcast, taken a second to support the podcast. If you've gotten even an ounce of value or entertainment from any of these episodes or interviews so far, I truly, truly appreciate it. It means the world to me. This podcast, you know, started as one idea talked about at the dining room table, and it has blossomed into a monster that I don't think anyone saw coming. It's truly taken on a life of its own. It's been a wild ride. I had to work that pun in there, but it has just been such an amazing journey and continues to be and has introduced so many unbelievable interviews. It has introduced new friends, new connections, and of course, experiences across the globe. It's opened more doors than I ever thought possible, and none of this would be possible, none of any of this would be possible without your time, your listening love, and your support. I thank you again, and I cannot wait for the next 100 episodes. Now, for episode 100. So this is very, very different than any of the previous 99 episodes. In this episode, you will hear returning guests for the first time talking about new things and also eh, all sorts of stuff. You will hear highlights maybe some best of moments. You will also hear some unreleased bloopers and just other wild and crazy things that happen throughout the recording of these first 100 episodes. I will chime in from time to time to let you know who's up next and sort of tee off what's to come. You'll notice they're in groups of about three or four key moments at a time, moments or interviews at a time. And then in the middle, you'll notice that there is a natural place for a halftime break. So this episode is a bit longer, If you do choose to listen to it in two parts, I will let you know when it is quote-unquote halftime. We actually have a musical performance for halftime, so get ready for that. So, episode 100, prepare yourself for a wild time. If you find this episode enjoyable, I ask that you please introduce this episode to just one friend. Alrighty, alrighty, we will kick things off with returning guest Brendan O'Mara, followed by Ryan Follen with his wise words on creativity, and then Marisa Corcoran with a hell of an impression. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are back with Brendan O'Mara, a.k.a the digital marketing director, North America at BIC. And together we formed the super group, Brent Stetter. How are you doing? And welcome back to episode 100, Brendan. Hey, good morning. Congratulations on episode 100. I'm really, really happy to see how the podcast has come along. 
Thank you. Thank you. Couldn't have done it without you. And this is crazy. You were on back at episode two. So back when we were a lowly single digit podcast, and here we are at three digits. Can you believe it? I can't. I can't. I, I can also not believe I was in episode one. I think we've kind of beat that to death, but I'll, I'll still always remember that. What was I, I don't really I don't really remember what happened there. But, <laughs> oh, yeah, my, That's my okay, memories. You know, it's okay. Number two can still be everyone's favorite. It's it's fair. Of course, it's like I'm number two from the Austin Powers movies. And uh, when I think of you, you know, as, in addition to thinking of the coolest guy in the world, which has been trademarked, uh, I think of creativity and creative marketing. And as you know, when we used to work together, there were always so many creative marketing campaigns that we talked about. And back then, it was a lot of long form and really cool stuff with videos that were, dare I say, over two minutes long. And, and as digital marketing has evolved and as online advertising has changed, it's really become clear that in even just a few seconds or in really, really short form, you can make quite the splash from a creative marketing standpoint. So do you mind talking about that a little bit and uh, how you see the state of current or short form or whatever you want to call it marketing? Oh, sure. I, I think you're spot on too. The change has been quite dramatic and it's been very accelerated over the past couple of years. I, I think if you want to still dabble in long form, it exists, but you have to have almost cinematic quality and a story that's amazing to get people interested in watching anything past you know three, five, maybe 10 seconds if you're lucky. We're just in a world of short attention spans. And as marketers, I think we're still looking and we have to look for the same things we always did with a piece of creative. And I learned it a long time ago as sort of like ABC, just for simplicity standpoint around attention, branding and communication, what you're trying to get across. But now the challenge is you may have you know, a handful of seconds to get that to happen for you. It's crazy to think about seconds and uh, the fact that Everything used to be so focused on TV commercial. Obviously, TV commercials still exist, but the fact we're talking about stuff that's under 10 seconds or even under five seconds, and yet people are still creating things that are so compelling and so eye-catching in that crazy short time frame. Is there anybody or any brands that come to mind that you've seen do a really, really good job of this? I would say, in, in thinking about that, the first one that pops into my head was... Clorox. I think Clorox had a, a lot of different campaigns and they were also among the first that I saw. And this was probably a year or two ago. I think the temptation when short form came up, when Instagram stories started and when YouTube bumpers started to become a thing and people were cutting down to very, very short video formats, the temptation was to take a 15 or a 30 second spot and cut it and make it something that was ended up looking kind of clipped and not ideal. What Clorox did with some of their campaign, I don't know if you ever saw it, they had a long-standing campaign around bleachable moments, and it had to do with the confidence you would get from knowing that something that was clean with Clorox was really clean and germ-free, and they created a bunch of fun family situations in six seconds that, you know, I won't relive them here, you can look them up on YouTube or, or wherever you like, but it just got the point across, and the whole story was built for that time frame from the ground up. You can tell it was not a cutdown. And I think that is the key to some of the success. I also think that there's a temptation because you can load a lot of things into something like Instagram stories or Snap that you do. If you can get your point across, you don't need to create a gigantic volume of episodes, right? You can do it with a few, do it well, and make sure people get to see it. 
So you're still balancing out a little bit of the good storytelling with the right types of media approaches. It's crazy when you think about these super tight constraints and yet there's still an eruption of creativity in them. And I know you guys had, as Bic, you did a really, really cool partnership with Mr. Penbeats on TikTok. Can you tell us about that for a little bit? Oh, sure. In TikTok's a great example, when you think about, I mean, you had, you had Nick Juhas on a few episodes back and it was a great oh, yeah. episode, by the way. I really enjoy it. Oh, thank you. Your check is in the mail. <laughs> you know, he was talking a little bit in that interview about how YouTube allowed for a really long story and he's the content. And that's a place where you're interested in the content from start to finish. It's a little bit different than CPG marketing. But when it came to TikTok, how you have to cut things down so short and make them really exciting from the minute it's on till it till it goes off. And it could be, you know, a handful of seconds, as we've spoken of just a few minutes ago. With us, we had seen people doing some creative things with our products. And Mr. Penbeats, you should look him up if you haven't for the listeners. He just makes some incredible things happen with pens and the sounds he can make with them from a percussion standpoint. So rather than try to wade in as a traditional advertiser, you know, which I think is, is something short-sighted if you don't have a reason to be there or a natural fit for the audience, we had our team reach out and actually it was, a, it was kind of a two-way conversation where he had historically used our products to beat out these rhythms. And you know, we were able to set up something that was very simple, very, that's another point I wanna reinforce there is that as we get into some of these short form platforms, they're not all the same. So we were able to leverage the types of things that the platform stood for, like challenges, like really short things that are fun and easy to consume and then move on, but still get the point across of what product you have, you're registering the product, you're talking about creativity, which is what our stationary products are about. And it, it was a great fit all around. Well, shout out Bic and shout out Mr. Penbeats. That is such a natural, organic partnership or collaboration there. The fact that he was already literally using your products and, and not just for the primary purposes, but also for an additional purpose that is pretty fun. I mean, I think back to when I was in high school, I literally could not stop making beats and banging the pens and pencils on the, uh, on the desk. And, uh, you know, here I am and Mr. Penbeats has uh, stolen all of my thunder. So <laughs> we'll look for the, the Max branding challenge on, uh, for his own Penbeats up against Mr. Penbeats on TikTok. It's coming. It will, it will go viral any second now. Well, Brandon, thank you so much. This was beautifully short and beautifully sweet and awesome catching up. Always fun. I want to give you a chance for another edition of Final Thoughts. This is episode 100, Final Thoughts, so it could be literally anything in the world. Go. First thing I have to say is thank you. Second thing I have to say is I wish you much success on the next 100 and the 100 after that. And last thing I'll tell you is that we're talking a lot about creativity and I can't even remember if I said it the first time, but everybody is creative. A lot of people will tell you, no, I'm not, I'm not that creative. Yes, you are. You know, people just have to sit back, find things that inspire them and look at things from a different angle. And you can really inspire others and really surprise yourself with what you can come up with. Mr. Stick Figure, what do you do to stay creative? I look up. And this is something I tell people all the time is, is look up. Uh, I think that for me, visually looking up just is a, is a great way to ground myself, to see nature, to see clouds. It has a sort of aspirational, you know, you're just, there's so much that's up there that's out there. And if I ever want to be humbled, I think of how crazy the universe is. 
And to me, that sort of infinite intimidation helps me to realize that there's an infinite amount of creativity. There, there are so many different planets, so many different versions. Everything is changing so much. I'm so, I've got this rose that's decided to fight through my neighbor's fence and come out about three to four feet towards my window. And it's just like blooming towards me this way. So <laughs> I look for inspiration and creativity in nature. Uh, if I need to get recharged, yeah. I will walk outside. And I do so much looking down that uh, I always make sure to look up. So for me, creativity comes from nature. Um, there's some really great studies around the fact that your brain is a creative machine. You just have to let it work. And a stressed brain is not a creative brain. You might read a book. You might listen to this podcast. You might play Hungry Hungry Hippos. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you put yourself in a situation where you're in nature. There's trees. There's birds. There's a lake. You have no stresses in your entire life at that moment. And all of a sudden, the Hungry Hippos connect with the book, connect with the podcast, and you have this epiphany. This is why you get good ideas in the shower, people, is because you're vulnerable, you're safe, it's warm, it's comfy, you have no worries for that five or six minutes, and then all of a sudden your brain is relaxed at that one moment, and then boom, you get the good idea. So for me, creativity is putting yourself in a place where you can let your brain connect its own dots. I do a really great Margaret Joseph's impression from The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Okay, yeah, I'm 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 not as familiar with it, but you should still you should definitely do that right now just for like a Oh line my or gosh, two. <laughs> that is such pressure cuz now it's not going to be good. I think it's going to sound fantastic. But you know, whenever they're interviewing her and she's always like, I mean, please, Teresa. I mean, please, why would you even speak to her? I mean, she's not even worth your time. I mean, Danielle, I mean, please. I mean, like who invited her here? I can't, please. So, oh my God. I, thank you. Wow, and scene. <laughs> I can see the acting background there. So I will often walk around our house and just talk like Margaret to my husband. I'll be like, Eric, please. I mean, like, what are you even thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, please, seriously. Wow. Thank you, Brendan, Ryan, and Marisa for that. Next up is returning guest Emily Griffith from Little Bucks, followed by the highlight of John Troutman and Nate Chiroder of Empathy Wines, sharing the key lessons they've learned from working with their co-founder, Gary V. And then, of course, we have Siri herself, Susan Bennett. Alrighty, we are back for episode 100 with Emily Griffith, Emmy Griff, the creator, founder, you name it, of Little Bucks, shaking up the world with buckwheat. How are you doing today, Emily? Welcome back. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. So much has happened since we last chatted. And congrats on this milestone. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm getting a tattoo as we speak. But episode 100, it's crazy to think about because I feel like we didn't connect that long ago in the grand scheme of things. But that was back all the way at episode 21. So for starters, I think a natural place to start catching up with you is in your interview, you know, we talked about the origin story of a little bucks and some of the initial branding ideas you have. And you were really eager and excited to expand your distribution particularly with Whole Foods and some other big name retailers out there. What news can you share with us on that end? Yeah, so officially the Whole Foods launch has happened in the Midwest region. So we're across, I think, 11 states in all the Whole Foods stores. We're in Erwan in Los Angeles um, and another big retailer coming soon that I will share on social media when it happens. But yeah, so that's super exciting. So now more than ever, I think it's taking that digital presence that we've had and 
um, hoping that's turned into brand awareness. So people are picking us up in the stores. Yeah, it's been really exciting. Well, congrats on that. I know Whole Foods was such a big goal and something that you were so eager to, to get in the fact that you're starting to get distribution there is so cool. And, and it must be crazy from your perspective. What do you think has helped drive your brand to the point that you actually are hitting shelves in places like Whole Foods and more and more people are, are learning about you guys? Well, it's quite a process to get into a store like Whole Foods. So basically as a brand, I'm working on making the consumer want our product because at the end of the day, the buyer at Whole Foods, they make decisions about what they think, what brands will do well in their stores. And a lot of that comes from data and looking at the, these types of products seem to fit consumer demand. So we're going to give them a chance on our shelf. But when buyers see their own customers asking repeatedly for a product, that's going to, you know, make them look again at this product and get them on the shelf. So I think that's what happened with us. We're based in Chicago and I've built quite a community here. It's where we have the most brand awareness right now. I would say we do ship all over the country and we've definitely grown a lot in the past couple of years, but Chicago's our home. So of course there's the most brand awareness in Chicago and the Whole Foods buyer in Chicago finally kept hearing enough about Little Bucks and gave us a shot. <laughs> well, it's very well-deserved. And so your, your kind of popular hotspots are Chicago and, of course, all the households around the world where Wild Business Growth Podcast listeners exist, not only in Chicago. So those are kind of your two main demographics there I'm, I'm very well aware of. Yeah. <laughs> In addition to the distribution side, another thing that has really, really progressed and you've, you've taken to a new level since we last spoke was the, the packaging and also your product line. So when we spoke last, you were about to come out with new packaging, but you hadn't yet. And I don't think cluster books existed yet. What can you share about those two things? Yeah. So very exciting to, about both the packaging for little bucks and the new product line cluster books uh, with the... New product line cluster bucks, they're adaptogenic buckwheat clusters, which basically the adaptogen part means that we're using different mushroom and root powders that help people adapt to stress um, or boost their immunity. And serving the buckwheat in a clustered form is just a more familiar way of eating it. So we found that, and cluster bucks is a fun name. <laughs> It is. Yeah. You can't say it without a smile on your face. I know. So it, we're trying to, you know, spread some good vibes and it's catchy and people seem to grab it off the shelf and the clusters, they know how to eat them. So that gets them interested in buckwheat and then that brings them into the little bucks family. So it kind of opens up the, the initial market to our product family with cluster bucks. So we've seen a lot of success with some PR hits and digital marketing that we get a lot of attention from the cluster bucks and it brings them to our website and then they learn about little bucks and sprouted buckwheat and all these different ways you can use it and incorporate it in what you already eat. And that's been really awesome to convert people not only into cluster buck fans, but just a whole fan of the brand family. Fan of the brands and the packaging. What's your favorite part about the packaging? Because personally, it, it's awesome. I thought what you had at the beginning was cool, and then you totally took it to the next level. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, this was fun for me because I'm a graphic designer. Yeah. But it took about a year of listening to my customers and learning how they like to use our products and 
what health benefits are most important to them. And also going back to my inspiration for the brand in Sydney, Australia and bringing in, so the little bucks you can see like the really bright blues is kind of like our thing. I kind of call that the Sydney blue because it reminds me of the ocean and just the bright, clear blue water you see everywhere there. So that's my favorite part about the packaging for sure. And it probably reminds you back of when you thought of the idea for Little Bucks in the first place. So I'll come in full circle here. Exactly. And then the last point I wanted to ask about was you kind of alluded to some great PR wins you've had. I was just blown away to check my phone one day. And in one week, it was you and Little Bucks and Forbes. And then another week, it was the New York Times. So congrats on that. That's really incredible. What was your reaction to seeing yourself and your brand in those famed outlets and is there a tip you can share for getting PR wins like that? Yeah I mean obviously it was incredibly satisfying to see myself and Lil Bucks and Forbes and the New York Times were literally going to get that paper printed uh, and framed and I'll have it in my headquarters forever. (laughs) Of course autographed like seven times. Absolutely and I think One thing that really helped us get the hit is that it is such a unique product. We're only brand focused on sprouted buckwheat. And then we're tying it in with a sustainability story of sourcing buckwheat from North America to improve our soil health. So just sharing the full brand vision and not like, look, these are cool sprouted buckwheat seeds for your smoothie bowls. But look at this company and this long-term vision this is where we are now and this is where we're going, like share it so you can be a part of this journey. So in the pitch, and you definitely have to with publications, focus on different things depending on what the writer talks about. So for some wellness publications, obviously we're focused more on the health benefits, the adaptogens we use, gluten, grain-free, all that stuff to something like we were on a TV show in Chicago recently where the general public, you say adaptogens, and that's a scary word that turns people off right away. So we're talking more about how crunchy and delicious it is, and you can put it on your ice cream and in your yogurts and just make it more approachable. And then with something like the New York Times and Forbes, we're looking at that big picture story. Forbes is more obviously business focused. And then the New York Times, they just really love seeing that full circle of innovation and interesting product with great taste. I think that story with the sustainability is something that their readers are excited about. So it's really studying each individual publication and writer, which is a lot of work, but it definitely pays off if you click with them and follow up a lot. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it's clearly paid off. Well, congrats again on that. And thank you so much for coming back on for episode 100. Little Bucks, for anybody who hasn't tried Little Bucks yet, they're so tasty. They're great. There's so many uses for them. And and Emily and the team are always sharing so many amazing recipes with them. So last thing, my last challenge for you, Emily, is the episode 100 additional final thoughts, which is da-da-da-da. Literally, you could say whatever you want. So (laughs) leave us with a final thought here. Oh, my final thought is congrats to you for, you know, your perseverance on actually recording 100 episodes. That takes so much dedication. And in my mind, I've thought about starting a podcast, but it's one thing to think about it being a great idea. And it's another thing to 
actually do it and line up all these awesome interviewees and share it with the world. And you got a great voice for podcasting. So congratulations. <laughs> for us coming from the, the Gary Vaynerchuk School of Marketing and VaynerMedia, you know, we want to build a culture that's just simply like doing and trying. Yeah. Um, and so we both come from that that place where it's much better to just go in on something and try it and see what happens than talk about it for two weeks. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we, we pitched an idea with the can wine. Um, and I think two weeks later, we had like a prototype of a can wine and a deck ready to go. And so it's just let's do, do, do. And then, f you know, if things don't work, great. And we'll try something else. And, and I think that's how it's always going to be. So what would you say is the biggest lesson? It could be from Gary or it could be from being part of VaynerMedia for so many years as a whole. What do you think is the biggest thing that you've learned that you found the most valuable? Like if you had to pick one lesson, really put you on the spot here. Yeah. And not to just echo what Nate just said, but like really build to echo what Nate just said. Yeah, <laughs> no. But There's a, a lot a, of parrots in this room. I don't know what's a lot going of, on. Yeah, you guys got a problem with that yeah. now. Yeah. Um, but just like doing things. So I think to Nate's point, people yeah. tend to overthink things, especially when they're you know, starting a business. Like how do we make sure we're being as strategic as possible? Um, and very honestly, at a personal level, I had to like break myself back into that mindset going from a big organization that VaynerMedia had turned into, you know, with 900 people at a certain point, a business gets so big that it's really hard to just go do things without, you know, having huge conference room meetings beforehand and, you know, yeah. thinking things through. I think that's actually been probably the most refreshing thing about empathy is like between you know, a really small team and just building a culture of like, yeah, let's try it. Um, it's mm -hmm. been great. That's been probably the thing that's, you guys really nailed the glass half full thing. <laughs> so, which I feel is important to your yeah. brand. I think my answer would be, it's weird. Cause this, this, in, the wine industry is a very, you know, nostalgic and romantic industry, but I think yeah. not being romantic about the past, mm -hmm. that's kind of how VaynerMedia built mm. its business of not, not doing what others were doing, you know, 12 months ago, just because of, just because it's what people are doing, it's looking forward. And so for us in the wine industry, you know, we're making three wines this year. They're all blends. If we see a, a huge trend that makes tons of sense for our business and our brand, we're not opposed to trying it um, and going for it. So last thing here, do you have a final quote or just a one line final thought to end with? Whatever you want. The stage is yours. Siri has the booth. Okay. Everyone, what I have discovered is the most important thing in life, have a sense of humor. You absolutely never question what Siri says, so that must be 100% true. Thank you, Emily, Trouty, Nate, and Susan. Next up is returning guest Joe Polizzi, aka the godfather of content marketing, who may just be the godfather of something else followed by the inventress Lisa Ascalise sharing how she invents so many things, and then a beautiful singing display by Tamsin Webster. Alrighty, we are back with Joe Polizzi, the godfather of content marketing. Welcome back for episode 100. Joe, how are you doing today? I am honored. I always wanted to be on the 100 episode. So you've you've made my dreams come true. It's like I'm going to Disney World, but I know I can't go to Disney World right now. But I feel honored 
<laughs> you might, you might be able to go to Disney World. But I know this is the number one thing you are most proud of in your entire life. No, this is it. This has been this is the pinnacle. Actually, I'm going to be depressed after this because I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, well, sorry about that. Well, well let's, <laughs> let's enjoy the moment. while. We uh, yeah, can. we're going to just enjoy this. I'm going to live it up and a bask in it. Yeah. So episode 100. This is crazy. You were on Wild Business Growth Podcast back in episode 15. So in the double digits. And you're our first ever Halloween themed episode. And by that, I mean the episode released on Halloween. And uh, we talked about the color orange a lot. So it was very, very, very festive. And uh, a lot has changed since then. Back then in that episode, we of course talked about more of your origin story, how you became the godfather and all of your things with the content marketing world and content marketing institute. And since then, you have released naturally your own thriller novel, The Will to Die. So where did this come from? How did you switch from content marketing to a thriller mystery novel? You know, Max, I thank you, by the way. I'm honestly trying to challenge myself creatively. And and I still write, as you know, I mean, I, I just came out with a Corona Marketing book. I'm, I'm working on a new version of Content Inc. I'm still writing around content marketing, but I wanted to challenge myself creatively. I took a full year sabbatical in 2018, and I just had this discussion with my wife, and I asked her why she'd never read any of my books, and I wrote five marketing books, and she said, well, you have to write about something interesting. Marketing is boring. So if you write about something more interesting, I will read it. And I took that as a challenge. And I said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a mystery thriller novel because that's what she loves to read and started working on it. It was honestly the most challenging thing I've ever done creatively. Before this podcast. Finally ended up with a manuscript in February of 2019. And she read it. You know, she was my audience and she fortunately liked it. And then went through the publishing process and, and published it officially in March of, of 2020. And it's done fairly well. And uh, if you ever get a chance to do it, you should do it. The, the thing that, I, that I'm glad I did was actually publish it because I know so many people that have a plan to write a novel or they have half a novel in their desk drawer and they've never actually published it. So at least I can say, even though it, you know, good or bad, good, bad or ugly, at least it's out there. It is out there. You can listen to it or you can read it. I actually first consumed everything with your book on Spotify in audio form. So I absolutely loved it. How'd you come up with this strategy of actually releasing it for free audio first? Well, you know, I'm a big believer in focusing on one platform. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this, I've got to eat my own dog food. And I said, I'm just going to focus on audio. That's how we were going to launch it. So before you could get it in as an ebook or a print publication, we launched it on December 4th of 2019 in audiobook only. And I wanted to actually give it away for free, but you can't do that with Audible. Uh, so I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? So I was like, oh, let's give it away as a podcast. So on any podcast platform from iTunes to Spotify to Stitcher, you could download and basically one chapter is 42 chapters. And one chapter was an average. One episode of a podcast, you could listen to the whole thing all the way through, do it absolutely free. And I thought that would build a buzz for the formal release. And it actually worked pretty well. We got over 50,000 downloads. People were talking about it. It was, you know, nobody really done it this way before. There are authors that give away chapters free while they're doing a launch, but no one that's actually launched their book completely on audiobook only. I don't know if I would do it again, but as a new author trying to break through, 
just because I wrote marketing books before doesn't mean anything. And fiction was new. Uh, I was new to a lot of people that, that wanted to read mysteries and thrillers. So I had to do it a little bit differently to break through. And I think it's, I think it's worked pretty well. I mean, you liked it. So, I mean, you, you engaged in it. So there were people out there. And I think that the good thing is we took away the barriers to entry from payment. We're like, Hey, just, you know, you have a podcast player, you had a smartphone, go ahead and listen to it. And I know a lot of people that actually listen to the podcast version that bought an ebook or print version after that. So it's, it's just interesting that that happened. Well, I think your ultimate goal was me liking it. So from that That's standpoint, I think it was a clean sweep. I think you have the number one selling and, uh, and listening book of all time in that category. Other than releasing it early in audio or podcast form, other than that, what would you say was the single most helpful thing you did to actually increase the sales of the print book? I think the biggest thing is just have your own, if you have your own audience, that's critical. So the people that were subscribed to my e-newsletter were, were big proponents and they were spreading it around. But I would say probably the number one thing was getting a group of core influencers, focused core influencers ahead of this ready to go. So what I did, I had about a hundred influencers. And by the way, these weren't you know, people that had mystery audiences, I focused on the marketing thriller angle. So I had about 100 people on my list. And I said, I'm doing this crazy thing. I'm giving this basically I'm giving this thing away for free. So I had them and listed them twice once for the launch of the free version and another time for the launch of the paid version in March. And I said, Hey, are you willing to share this? And they all said yes. So it was great. And then as soon as we went, I, I had I don't know what it was something like 9 million impressions of people sending out tweets and Facebook messages on the oh will to die. It was so it was totally crazy. But that's because I got them ready ahead of time. So I sent them the note ahead of time. I asked for permission. I sent them all the material. I said, here's how to share it on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Thank you so much. Uh, and it worked really, really well. And and I think that's what a lot of companies don't do with their launches is is get those people together, that army of true believers behind you. And and that made all the difference. It's like you have a background in marketing or something. I, I don't know. There, there might be something to it. It's not rocket science. It's just the thing is, is that you got to remember for an influencer strategy to work, you have to work on your influencer relations all the time. And what a lot of businesses do, they just do it one off. They're like, okay, now I need them to you know, send out this lead generation thing for me. And that's what we're going to do. Well, that doesn't work. You have to work on these are people that hopefully friends, people that you want to have a relationship with all the time. And, and that's, that's how you need to do it. Well, you've executed it masterfully with your first thriller book. And again, I loved it. I think even if you're somebody who doesn't consume a ton of thriller stuff or mystery stuff, I mean, I'm somebody who's pretty foreign to that category. And I could not stop listening it. I mean, in the way you've done it with the shorter chapters, it really makes for great binge listening or binge reading. So check out The Will to Die. And Joe, for a special episode 100 additional final thoughts, it could be anything you want. Well, just to be safe and well and get through this the best you can. But from a marketing standpoint, I would say now is the time to get serious. I honestly think that right now with a lot of people struggling, this is the greatest time ever to be an entrepreneur, to be a marketing professional. We have the, the freedom to really get focused on one platform, on really focusing on an audience that needs our help. And so that's where I, I think this is the time that audiences are going to get built. So if you take it seriously and you really believe in the practice of content marketing and building an audience, 
now's the time to do it. We did it with CMI during the Great Recession. This is 10 times worse than what happened during that time. You know, unfortunately, that's terrible with all the things going on, but at the same time, the greatest opportunity we've ever seen. And I would just like people to take advantage of that. Well, first of all, do you have any idea, have you ever put a number on the account on the number of products that you've invented or help people invent? Do you have a ballpark range? I don't. I'm going to say it's got to be close to, I don't know, 500. That's it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slacker, right? Yeah, I gee, what have you been doing say, with your I have time? To, I have to really, no one's ever asked me that question before. I mean, really? I invented something this morning. I call them mental inventions. Okay, yeah. So they're inventions like that you don't necessarily move forward with because some are not financially feasible. Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, kind of flesh out finances and figure out, you know, what demographic is going to buy this product. Is it just for you? Is it just an idea, something that you're going to use? If so, make a prototype and use it for yourself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that I've done too. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 500 inventions. So, like, geez, what are you doing with your time? I know. But, uh, <laughs> so Slack and you, laying around. Yeah, seriously. Beach. You, I know you started inventing products at an early age. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of something that you did as a child or where you, when you started coming up with these solutions? Sure. So, I mean, my, um, I guess the, the greatest memory of one of my inventions looking back and saying, wow, was that actually an invention? I, I grew up in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And when you grow up in Brooklyn, you're in, when I grew up, you played outside. There was no hanging inside and playing computer games or anything that, like that. We went outside. We were either playing handball or basketball or tennis and, or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I had no time to tie my shoes. <laughs> so I invented this lace that stuck together, not even knowing I was actually inventing something. I just had to stop them from, from falling out. And so I made this kind of modge podge mixture, which created a stiffness in my lace, in my laces. So that was the first memory when I started saying, well, you know what? I, this must be an invention. This has to be an invention, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, let that go and just did other things, was always modifying and readjusting things in my house. And my mother and father were probably losing it and just allowed me to like be free to do what I was doing. I don't yeah. know how they dealt with it, but well, they did. Probably, probably a good thing they did. They did. And um, I just that's what I did. I just remodified everything. Things that didn't work for me, I made mm-hmm. I created them to work for me. What is your favorite song to dance to? If you had to pick one song. Um, Sway by Dean Martin. That one. Sway. Thank you so much. You know, I always ask people to sing and nobody ever does. They're like, oh, no, I can't do that right now. Wow. Thank you. You know, that almost makes me feel like singing. Almost. Almost. But, you know, I can't right now. Thank you, Joe, Lisa, and Tamsin. Next up is returning guest Joe Martin on his Move to Cloud app, followed by Justin Delaney on the crazy lengths they went to to achieve startup success with Manguin, followed by That Viola Kid revealing the intense Juilliard application and audition process, and then finally Carter McLean putting on the halftime show of his generation for this episode on his famous drums. Alrighty, we are back with the dad joke king, but now he's known as the VP and GM of the hot startup cloud app, Joe Martin. Joe, welcome back for episode 100. 
Hey, thanks. Excited to be here. Yeah, this has been great. I think uh, we had you on an episode at 17, and we talked a lot about Adobe and creativity and all the amazing stuff you built there. And uh, of course, dad jokes and being the Twitter dad joke king. And we've since exchanged several endless dad jokes. But uh, a little bit of time after that, you took a new role at Cloud App, which I know is absolutely booming as far as subscribers and really changing the space in the, I, I don't know what space you call it, video production or video meeting and right, we'll call whatever. It collaboration. collaboration, collaboration. There, there you go. I thought of it myself. Anyway, so that's really cool. Congrats on the new gig and all the amazing stuff you're doing there. Why did you go to Cloud App and what ultimately made you decide to go all in on this in the first place? Yeah, it's it's been a wild year for me, for sure. Um, big, big changes going from a kind of well-oiled machine in Adobe to Cloud App, who was a very beginning stages of a startup, even though it was a few years in. It kind of started out with, I was a user of the product at Adobe, and they just announced a partnership with Adobe XD. This, the CEO actually got connected to me through it through a friend small world he lives in the bay area grew up in the east coast but his um sister is married to an old ceo that i worked for before i was at adobe you know you got to keep your nose clean uh because that guy was a big big part of me uh getting hired here at cloud app yeah well the people the connections can obviously be so impactful and for you life-changing what's been the biggest adjustment from going from that well-oiled machine, as you mentioned, in Adobe to a brand new baby of a company? Moving fast and making a lot of mistakes and learning from them very quickly. The best story I like to tell is day one of my job. I sent a kind of a Slack note to the CEO. He's in the Bay Area and I was in Utah. And I said, hey, I don't really love like our headline on our website. You know, would you be open to me kind of changing it? Here's Here's some suggestions. And he's like, Okay, yeah, just a sec. Okay, I changed it, and here's a cloud app video of how you can change it in the future. <laughs> um, so that was like mind blowing, right? Like, first of all, Adobe, stay in your lane, bro. Like that was not even my my area, the website. Adobe. Yeah, and if I did want to change something on Adobe.com, like it would have a whole bunch of approvals, and I would have to have some meetings on like, you know, why I think we should make the change and it would right. have to align with brand messaging and the CMO would probably get involved and it just would be, you know, a very long process, which is fine. I mean, it's a, you know, top 50 brand. So you've got to be a little more careful and um, a little more thoughtful, but it was, it was pretty cool to kind of have that and be like, okay, this is, this is my new space. You know, this is what I need to work with. That's awesome. Yeah. There's a sense of of freedom that comes with it, not having to do all the extra meetings and just the fact you can be so much more quick and nimble. What is it that makes cloud app so different or that cloud app does the best compared, compared to the competitors? Yeah. So one of our biggest things is we try and get people to value as quick as possible. So if you go to getcloudapp.com and you download, you sign up for the app, you can create a screenshot or a video, you know, within a minute of signing up. And kind of the coolest thing for me is there's like really instant gratification where once you create that screenshot or that video, you instantly get a shareable link uh, that gets copied to your clipboard or you can go into your app and, and download it. 
uh, and then you can instantly share that in Slack or Jira or Asana, uh, G Suite, you know, anywhere, and it shows a nice like unfurled uh, view of what you just did. It quickly becomes a way that you can eliminate uh, email and really just have a little bit cleaner async communication where context and tone are involved versus just kind of writing things down. It's so frictionless. So that's awesome. And, and what I've noticed about cloud app is the, the little bubble. Do you have a name for that? The kind of when you show yourself and it's like the circle that your face is in, what, what do you, I, what I do need you to create a name for it. It is very brandable. Ooh, okay. And, and I try, that's what I call it is, is kind of like a brandable image, but it, yeah. it is something that I try and add to a lot of our uh, marketing. Okay. I like it. Well, it's the, it's the bubble. It's the, uh, we'll just call it the dad joke cloud because, <laughs> because we're always in a cloud of dad jokes, but also in your experience so far, you've seen so much success already. And yes, it's early in the cloud app lifetime, but what would you point to as the biggest win that you guys have seen so far? So maybe it's number of users, maybe it's some PR you've gotten. What kind of is the most memorable thing that has happened so far? Sure. So I think a lot of it is just on my end of the marketing side, it's really just been a consistent focus on things. So we've had, you know, the articles in Mac rumors and market watch Yahoo finance. We've also seen just crazy growth during this remote uh, switch. You know, it's also really interesting to dig into the data and find that people's work patterns have totally shifted. So you have people working three times more during the morning commute and also uh, after hours, you know, between six and midnight than they were before. So it's kind of like this traditional work setting has been totally flipped on its head. So it's been kind of cool to, to be at a, a product that's at the forefront of kind of this remote shift and to see how people are kind of reacting to it. You guys are doing something right because I keep hearing and seeing more and more about cloud app and it seems like seems like a place that a heck of a place to work as well. It seems like you're having a lot of fun there. So so Joe, thank you so much for coming back on for episode 100. Always fun. Uh, last thing here, it's a special episode 100 edition of Final Thoughts. What is something you want people to take away with or, or carry with them? Uh, start building your playbook of what the future is looking like and start to implement that now. So we realized that, okay, these people are going to be calling us a shitload. And so early <laughs> on, and this is like, I mean, one of the first months we were in operation, we set up a phone line that basically if a customer called Menguin, it rang on all the founders' phones. And so we'd get oh a call. Yeah. And, and we would, we'd fight for those calls. But really what that, what that created is like just an insane level of customer empathy. Like we knew when something was broken on the website and we'd have, you know, something in production within a few minutes because we're the ones that are hearing it and we're the ones that can execute it. And so we actually did this for two years. I mean, I was still taking phone calls on Saturday nights, you know, at three in the morning when we were doing, you know, say two, three million dollar run rate. And so as sort of this just fantastic necessity that created just really high customer IQ. And I forgot to mention, we had 24-7 customer service. So this wasn't like, you know, a nine to five thing. This was a, you know, <laughs> I'm going to leave dinner and talk to this customer about his inseam length. And it was just one of those things that the team made such sacrifices to get that. Okay, so here's the deal. 
uh, is different for undergrad and masters. Right. But for Juilliard, what I had to prepare was a entire concerto, all three different movements, have it memorized, um, prepare a full sonata. I could use the music for that. I had to prepare a full Bach chamber, uh, Bach cello suite, uh, all memorized. So that's, uh, that's about six movements <laughs> unaccompanied. So there's no piano. It's just, Oh God, you know, it's just you. And then a P I had to prepare a piece that was written after 1980. So something contemporary, something avant-garde, if you will. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I, I did that. And so what you have to do is you have to send in a pre-screening tape as well as an application that has like a really big essay and you have to write the essay. You have to fill out the application. That took me about 12 hours or so. It was, I was home for Thanksgiving break and I, I procrastinated. I was like, fuck. You know, I was just like, I was like, oh man, I really got to get this stuff together. Yeah. Uh, so and on top of all of that, on top of the essay, on top of the application, you have to also prepare a pre-screening tape where you submit pretty much almost the entirety of the repertoire requirements. You have to record it and then you have to upload it to an online portal and send it all in as a package. And uh, then they may invite you for a live audition. And in that event, you fly to New York, do a 15-minute audition for about nine different judges who are all teachers there. And it was the longest audition of my life. It was the hardest audition of my entire life, but it was also the best audition of my life because I'd really right. uh, spent a lot of time and invested in preparing for that. So final thoughts. It could be a quote. It could be a line. It could be a um, phone book, drum solo, whatever you want. Send us off here. Oh, a phone book, drum solo. You know what? I'll play. My drums are here. I'll play real quiet. I'll just play a little groove out. How's that? Oh, awesome. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I'll do a real quiet, I'll use some mallets over here. And that marks your halftime performance. Thank you, Joe, Justin, Drew, a.k.a. That Viola Kid, and Carter for for that. Wow. So we are about halfway into episode 100, believe it or not. And depending on how you want to approach this, this is either a really good time to hit pause and come back later or just to not hit pause and stay on. So if you do want to break it up into two listens, you might want to hit the pause button right about now. And we're back. Next up is returning guest Emily Hockman of Wellery, followed by Robert Rose on why it's actually good to be bored, and then Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth from the Box of Oddities doing something odd, as always. Alrighty, we are back with... Emily Hockman, the CEO and founder of Wellery. Emily, welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. How the heck are you doing? 
Thank you. It's so good to be here. I'm great. How are you doing? I missed you. Doing great. Yeah, I missed you as well. It's uh, it's crazy to think about. You know, this this is episode 100, and we connected back in episode 54. So you know, just a couple of things have changed since then. But <laughs> really excited to today talk about all the exciting advancements and, and wins in in your world. So to start us off there, you have been a little busy fundraising. You want to share some some notes about that? Yeah, really exciting. We, since we last spoke, we had some tremendous learnings and momentum and, you know, really took to market what we had been building and excited to share. We had closed a pre-seed round of $1.2 million. Holy smokes. Well, congrats on that. <laughs> that. And how much of that can you attribute to being on the podcast? Most of it. It's all things. It's of course all things to wild business growth. <laughs> Thank you. I, I I'm expecting that check any day now. But <laughs> no, that that really that really is amazing though. What what would you say has been the the most difficult part of of securing such a high amount? When it comes to fundraising, it's really a matter of staying clear of your story, seeing a big vision, and how do you tell that big vision? meaning what does the world look like to you in five years versus what does it look like right now? And how is your solution going to make that happen? And so I think that was really interesting for the fundraise process, which is always pitching your big vision, but then pairing that with, okay, but here's, you know, here's how far we've come and hopefully getting the right people on board to, to see your vision and, and see it come to life. Yeah. So you got to have that crystal clear vision. Mm -hmm. You and your team have been working hard on the app. I think when we first talked, I asked you about an app. And at the mm -hmm. time, you guys had thought that you might do it in the future. But now you're actually getting to the point that it's really picking up steam. You're excited yeah. to <laughs> excited to roll it out. So what, what, what can you share about the app and, and what it's going to do for Wellery? Yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, that was actually one of the reasons we fundraised was, you know, to help fund the build of our technology. I've been blown away by what we're in the process of developing and it's coming out. Our UX is beautiful. The design is beautiful. Uh, we like to say we're a customer-centric, product-centric business, which means we, all of our technology is really focused on making sure the customer experience is flawless, basically. So I'm just so excited. The designs are beautiful and our technology team, they're just all such all-stars. It's, it's unbelievable. I feel so lucky to get to work with them. You're an all-star working with a bunch of all-stars. This is just <laughs> everything. I feel like an all-star talking to you. <laughs> and, and speaking of those all-stars, uh, your team continues to get bigger and bigger. I know since we last spoke, you guys got an office as well. Can you share a little bit about the journey you've had going from a, a co-working space to uh, an office of your own? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. We actually loved moving into an office because for us, it actually just helped us focus a little bit better. There's so much good in, in co-working spaces. Uh, you get to meet new people. There's a lot of events. There's a lot of programming, networking opportunities. But given where we are at the stage of the business, which is, you know, heads down so often, getting to move into our own space where we could close the door and really just focus has been extraordinary. And quite honestly, we've seen, you know, our efficiency and productivity skyrocket as well. That closed door policy, it finally comes <laughs> in handy. And uh, also on the PR side of things, you've received 
some incredible praise and PR and some of the biggest outlets out there. I mean, you've been featured in Forbes, you've been featured in Business Insider. I mean, probably next you're going to be the uh, 6 p.m. host to SportsCenter. You know, what <laughs> What can you attribute to getting that traction and attention from a PR standpoint in such major outlets? Thank you so much. If I, if I had to hope, it's because what we're building, you know, can really impact and help the world. And I think press sees that. So by matching you with a Wellery nutritionist, we create personalized plans to help people stay healthy and be healthy, learn how to do those things. And so I think the press just really understands that this is a need that isn't going anywhere. And, you know, Wellery is a solution for so many. It's such a powerful mission. And you and your team are just continuing to do amazing things. So excited to stay in touch and see what you come up with next and uh, see you on the 6 p.m. Sports Center. So (laughs) Emily, (laughs) thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for being a part of the podcast and a part of episode 100. Last thing here, end us with whatever the hell you want. Go for it. Sign up for Wellery. Visit www.wellery.com. Match with your Wellery nutritionist and learn how to build habits that love you back. Thank you so much. Congratulations on 100 episodes. What would you say, like if you had to pick one activity for that playtime or creative time, what is your favorite thing to do? Uh, literally nothing. That's <laughs> all, and, I'm, and I'm serious. It's, it's literally nothing. I mean, because what we so often fall into the trap of doing in the creative time is focusing on something. In other words, we open up our sketchbook and go, okay, I got to sketch something. Or we open up our little journal and it's like, okay, I'm going to journal and, you know, I'm going to write and, and if, you know, and, and what we end up doing is overthinking it. We start thinking about the output rather than the activity. And so the, the critical thing is to, to the extent that you want and need to do absolutely nothing, literally turn off the phone, you know, if get a recording device, a sketchbook or a, you know, your iPhone with a record button or whatever, you know, if you need to. But literally go out and sit under a tree and just be for 30 minutes or not. It's a hard thing to do, quite frankly. It's one thing I, yeah. I do this in, a, in one of my uh, storytelling workshops where after lunch, before the teams really get into building their stories, I give them the exercise of going out and sitting and doing absolutely nothing for 15 minutes. And that routinely people will come up to me and say it's the hardest part of the day to, abs- to just do nothing. For 15 minutes, literally nothing, you know, you know, just let your mind go, be bored, be, you know, be bored for 15 minutes. It's, it's incredibly difficult for those of us who always have sort of constant sort of attention deficit syndrome where we, you know, checking the phone, checking our computer, listening for the email, bing, doing that, literally just sitting and doing nothing and looking at the sky and thinking about life and, you know, creating and thinking about cool and interesting things you could do for literally 15 minutes is a difficult thing to do, but that's, you know, that's, that's the critical part of that playtime is no expected output. You're not expected to do anything. You're just expected to create. Jethro has this uh, weird talent called Echo Man. <laughs> that's what I call it. It's my superpower. <laughs> and it's so bizarre uh, because I can't do it. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't understand. So if you say things like if you're just talking, he can just say back to you all of the things that you're saying as you're still talking. And it's very confusing and uh, it's a little scary. I win a lot of arguments that way. Would you like a demonstration? Yes, please. You read my mind, yeah. Echo Man. 
What do you? <laughs> okay. What? Um, let's see. Uh, I have a card that someone sent us. Okay. All right. Now I can't see it. You have to kind of set this up. She's okay. on the other side of the table. I have no idea what she's going to read. Go ahead. Okay. Hi guys. Hi guys. I just had these I just stickers had printed up and I wanted to share them with you because, because I think they'd, be your, I think they'd be your cup of tea. I was going to send them one of my Krampus cards, cards, but they aren't printed up yet and I got impatient. Expect that at a later Expect date. That at a later Love date. the show. Love Thanks the show. for doing what you do. Thanks Looking for doing forward what to seeing you at the Beach Theater. Okay, you lost me at the very end. I am still speechless from Echo Man. I repeat. I, I am, am still, still speak. Uh, I'm not going to do that the whole way. You get it. Thank you, Emily, Robert, Kat, and Jethro. Next up is returning guest Kevin Lane of Create a Castle with a back-to-back segment. First up is his returning interview where he talks about all the ways that Create a Castle has grown. And then we flash back to his original interview where he talks about where the idea for Create a Castle came about in the first place. And then Justin Bauer greets us all the way back from episode number one, which was a very long, very long recording. I'll just say he has some behind-the-scenes audio to share. Alrighty, we are back with the king of the castle, the king of the creative castle, that is Kevin Lane. Welcome back to episode 100. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Max. We always appreciate it. Of course, of course. Well, always great to speak with you, and it is absolutely wild what has gone on since we last spoke. You know, we had you on, your interview was episode 45, and at the time, you were talking about how you guys had plans to go on QVC, but it hadn't happened yet. So let's start there. How the heck was your experience on QVC? Yeah, yeah, QVC was awesome. I mean, it's, it's led us down so many other paths, too, which is really cool. So we ended up going on three times in the month of July, and I believe we averaged close to selling about 100 units per minute. So you're like, oh my God. So that, that's their whole system is the sales per minute. That's what I charge my podcast guests. <laughs> How did the experience overall live up to what you expected might be? I mean, you were on national tv um you were i mean so much exposure you have the opportunity to get real-time info on your sales and all that how would you characterize the experience overall oh it was incredible i mean just the exposure of it i think it's what led us to winning 2020 tour of the year in the outdoor category bam so many eyeballs are on us that they were like whoa what is that because creative castle is something new it's something different and um we kind of shook up the toy industry Absolutely. It shook up the castle industry, shook up the beaches, you name it. But toy of the year, let's get to that. Uh, I know I've said it to you, I don't know, 600 times probably over Instagram and, and other means, but congrats again. Toy of the year. That's absolutely incredible. You know, that's the Super Bowl or the big kahuna of the, of the toy world and super well-deserved. What was it like the moment that you and your wife and your team heard them announce that you guys won toy of the year? Oh my gosh. You know, we, we went there open-minded and we figured, you know, we're going up against Razor Scooter, Lego, big, big companies, Hasbro. And we figured, you know, we, we were at least a finalist. We're, we're content with that. We didn't really anticipate winning, but just in case I did have a speech ready on my phone. So right before they actually announced our category, they basically inducted three people into the hall of fame that night. The guy who spoke right before me was the founder of a small company called Little Tykes. And 
Oh, I see what you did there with small company. Yeah, small company called Little Tykes. And uh, when they called our company name, my wife screamed so loud and freaked out so much. <laughs> she handed her phones to the other people at the table that we were sitting with. I think it was Thames and Cosmos was the company we were with. So she hands our phones to, to them to record while we go up. And so we go up and we have our photo op and they're like, all right, you got to speak now. And I'm like, Laura, where's my phone? She's like, I left it at the table. You got to wing it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, we basically have to wing a speech in front of the most powerful people in the toy industry. But, you know, I, I think doing stuff like that organically sometimes work out, it works out better. So, you know, every, everything was fine. It was great. It was, you know, you, you have your kids, you, you buy your house, you buy your first car and then you create, create a castle and win toy of the year that it's that big, you know? So, yeah, that's basically the major events in every single person's life you just described. Yeah. That's amazing. Congrats again. And, uh, outside of, you know, the news with, the awards and toy of the year and QVC and all the amazing PR you've gotten, you've had some incredible distribution wins over the past year as well, both brick and mortar and online. Can you talk about some of the highlights as far as gaining more distribution and giving more people the opportunity to get and, and have fun with Create a Castle? You know, distribution wise, obviously Toy Fair, we had way more momentum going to Toy Fair with the Toy of the Year Award. So we picked up distribution from a store in Destin, Florida called Walmart. Mm, okay. A new up and comer. Yeah. You know, they have a few, they have a few stores near a beach. Um, so Walmart, we're talking to Academy sports now, which is fairly large. I think they have close to 300 stores. Kroger's. I mean, we're talking with serious players at this point now because the toy of the year really gave us that leverage to kind of take it to the next level. And some other cool stuff has happened too. Um, we also have distribution in New Zealand, Australia, Pacific Islands. We're still partnering with potentially some larger toy manufacturers in the industry. I can't say their names yet, but there's some really cool possibilities there as well. So tons and tons of stuff is going on. And that's the thing about startup businesses. Get as many sticks in the fire as you can and see which one catches the biggest and go for it. And create as many castles as you can. That's it. Well, Kevin... This has been awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming back on and giving a little snapshot of all you've done in the past year since the interview and all the stuff that's top secret, but also I'm sure to be very, very cool stuff that's in the works. This is an opportunity for you now. Episode 100, final thoughts. Go for it. Yeah. So if you were inventing any product, put yourself out there as much as you can. It's super important. I mean, instead of going door to door, I had the luxury of going beach to beach and that's really everything that we just talked about. That's what opened up all the avenues for me was really getting my product out there in front of eyeballs, getting out there and working every single day. As long as it's not raining, you don't want to build castles in the rain. How'd you come up with the idea in the first place? You know, it, it was funny. We were on vacation and I've been building sandcastles with my kids for years and each year I progressively get better and better on our summer vacations. And it got to a point where my wife is Greek. We have family everywhere. We were like, you know what? Let's go to a vacation in California this year. She has family everywhere. We had a free place to stay. We were like, sounds perfect. We're in SoCal. I have a perfect place. I have an open canvas. And at this point, I would literally be spending six to eight hours on the beach building these elaborate sandcastles. Holy cow. <laughs> 
And, you know, my kids are kind of like, all right, we'll help you for 10 minutes and then dad won't let us touch it anyway. So, you know, we're going to go into water and boogie board. <laughs> so you might have a castle passion, one would say. <laughs> Absolutely. So long story short, we're on vacation. I literally went to, I think it was an Ace Hardware in Laguna Beach, California, in Southern California, bought all these tools, hacksaws and all these things to basically do my thing on the beach. I'm walking down to the beach after I literally cut a five gallon bucket, you know, a bottom off. So I had a hollow cylinder mm -hmm. to actually do a form. And I see this dad and his son using one of those bottom fill molds that we just, you know, just talked about. And they're filling it from the bottom and they flip it and they lift it and the sand sticks and they put it back down. And the second time the dad stamps it so hard, it actually fractured the plastic, lift it again, still not really working. They got, you know, the frustration kicked in and they just kind of threw it aside. And they were like, yeah, let's just go into water. And that's when I have my light bulb moment. I said, oh my God, I'm holding everything that they want to do. They just don't know how to do it. How can I simplify it? So <laughs> that's really, the whole idea for Creator Castle was truly born in the beaches or the beach of Laguna Beach, California, visiting family on a family vacation. All right, I am back. Were you going to say we're going to go for 54 minutes? <laughs> yeah, I was kidding. But <laughs> I know it doesn't sound like it, but we both did wash our hands. I'm still washing my hands. Thank you, Kevin, and thank you, Justin. Next up is returning guest Stephanie Goldman, who has a new app, followed by Brian Fanzo talking about his mind-blowing poker tips. And then Drew Davis with the outtake of the century, You've been warned. Alrighty, we are back with Stephanie Goldman, the crazy cool app creator, who last time we were speaking about a travel app, now we're talking about a music app. Who knows what's next? Stephanie, welcome back for episode 100. Thanks, Max. It's nice to be here. Sounds like you're saying that as a question. but. <laughs> <laughs> It is nice to be here. Uh, yeah, no, no, thank you for making the time. This is really cool. So you were on back at episode 38, How Time Flies. Back then we were talking about Map to Next and also talking about your background in the iBanking world and some consulting stuff you've been doing. But now you've created this new monster, which I have on my phone and I've absolutely been loving it. And for anybody who's a fan of music or Spotify, it's super cool, definitely worth checking out. Bops or, or Bops music, you can find some more info about it. Where did this idea for Bops come from? Yeah, so um, with Bops, basically I uh, have taught myself over the course of the last year iOS development. One night, since I listen to so much music, and I think a lot of us do, um, one like one day in particular, I, I just found myself in a loop of the same songs to the point I was wondering what's cool and new that I can kind of do. Like, is there anything new that I can do here that would allow me to discover new music? And so basically like bops, I, I looked into what Spotify has available um, because that's kind of what I use and found that there's like really cool information um, you can get about what people are listening to that um, you can only access as a developer. So and what it does is it puts together a profile for each user that has like top songs recently played, top artists, uh, save songs, and your playlist all in one place. 
And then on the home page, it aggregates that for your friends and people you follow on Bops as well. And so this is like, basically, if you want to, you know, there is no way right now to kind of like very easily get what other people are listening to. And so this was sort of a mechanism to do that. And then there are a lot of other cool things to do with it. Um, but it's definitely been very fun. Uh, the other thing was just like, this was something I could see myself using every day. And I thought it would be really cool to just build something that I, I really found a use for. So that's kind of the inspiration behind it. Clearly, there's some benefits when you work with these major apps and platforms such as Spotify, they really are friendly and willing to help out and, and work with you as far as the more development side of things and uh, creating, I guess you could call it sister apps or something like that. So yeah. what's different about Bops compared to listening to music on just a typical music playing platform? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that you can do. There are a lot of different perspectives to have. I like in terms of like what social uh, music, if, if you, you know, bucket it there, what it can do for people, but just like the ability to like connect with people. So like, for example, if I'm like working out and going on run, I can tap into what my friend in Seattle is listening to. And that's kind of like a cool thing. Just imagining them like walking around, living their life, and like, here's what's in their ears. Now I'm working out to it. Like that hasn't been available. That's on the fan side um, or the user side. And then on the artist side, streaming, streaming is sort of a dead end for like fan, like artist to fan engagement. And so I think over time, there are things you can do for artists as well with a social, a more social platform. Um, but those would be like future features. And that's something that I'm still thinking through. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's going to evolve a ton, but I think the the overall mission and, and why you're doing it remains the same. You're an app building veteran now, and, and you did the travel I'm app with Mapdenex. You have you're <laughs> get, you're you're the humble app building veteran, but you you've created apps now in in two very different spaces. Mm -hmm. What is the biggest thing you can take away from your journey with Mapdenex that has been helpful to you with Bops? you know, just uh, going through the whole process and seeing what the, like, this is the same thing with being an engineer that like is a new hat for me, having learned um, iOS development, which is how do you determine the end? Like basically with everything, you're trying to determine the end goal and then figure out how to get there the quickest. And so having seen it with Maps Next really enabled like, you know, Bops, I, created an MVP probably in a week or two that was super simplified and gave it and gave it to a few people. And I think like that would not have even been, I wouldn't even have known to like sort of do that and how to quickly test these things like, yeah. you know, years ago. So that plus I think working, you know, at map tonight, like I worked with an amazing designer and like seeing how he laid things out. Like now I can do, you know, do at least the basics of design, like, making things incredibly simple for people to use is very, very important, like a few tap sort of process. And so I think just having a little more professionalism in the way you present things and like knowing the iOS standards is something that, you know, now I feel very comfortable with. And, and it's very important because users don't realize that it's there, but like every action you take sort of go, you know, there's, there are guidelines. So as a developer, you need to kind of follow them so that people will have a more intuitive experience. Well, you're proving that people first, it applies to whether you're selling a product or a service, it applies to creating apps as well. And you are writing the story of the show Silicon Valley. So it's great to catch up and really appreciate you sharing all your updates and 
have just loved the apps that you come out with and and you guys clearly keep such a close eye on them and are constantly looking for ways to improve them so thanks where's the best place for people to download bops or learn more about it yeah, so Bops is on the App Store uh, for iPhones right now. So if you if you search Bops Music, it should be the first one to come up. Awesome. Okay, and now to wrap us up, a special episode 100 final thoughts. It could be literally anything you want. People like should definitely take the first steps in trying to learn the basics of coding because what I've learned is there's like a lot of really cool stuff you can do with it, and it opens a lot of doors. For listeners, I would definitely recommend putting like the time in to try out like a basic language like Python or something like that. What is the most common tell that you see at the poker table of when someone's bluffing? What's the biggest sign you see there? Your feet. Your feet give away the most, which is weird because you're at a table. <laughs> you're like, wait a second, the feet aren't on the table, right? But your feet give away, your feet are the furthest from your your brain and your heart, right? So they're the thing you, you know, p- people will, you know, they, they'll, okay, I don't want to breathe. I don't want to. So the thing about your feet also that is really interesting is when you move your feet, more often than not, your shoulders and neck move as well, right? So if you're shuffling your feet or you're tapping your feet, so that's usually the tell that I, uh, I focus on mm. the most is, you know, I'll sometimes sit back from the table or I'll see, okay, I'm like, oh, look at the back, you know, look at the shoulder of their shirt. It's moving because they're tapping their feet. So the feet, weirdly enough, it's not what most people expect. Um, but the other piece about that is you always have to get a baseline of somebody, right? So you, you know, you spend about 30 minutes understanding what they normally do on a normal basis. And then what you're looking for is drastic changes. And those drastic changes usually happen on people's feet. Like it's, it's, it's funny. And you guys can test this out when you get excited, maybe you're on a phone call more often than not, you tuck your feet directly under the chair. Like that's your, your first instinct is like, Ooh, you get excited. Oh. <laughs> and, and when someone gets, gets cards that they like, it's also the thing that they do and they won't move their hands. They'll keep their sunglasses on. They'll be stoic, but yet they'll throw their feet under the table because they, it's the furthest, it's the thing they're not thinking about. So it's, it's one of those ones that I, when I tell people that they're like, that sounds weird. And then you'll, you'll start to notice how often your feet are are actually dictating uh, your current emotions. We'll, we'll keep your voice in good standing, but for anybody that isn't as familiar with you yet, can you give a a queef? uh, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to edit that part out. So, uh, only my, (laughs) <laughs> that was funny that was awesome yeah i don't you know we're explicit but i think that might cross the line a yeah you want to pick uh, it up again <laughs> yeah so <laughs> believe it or not i did not make that same mistake twice thank you stephanie brian and drew and at last it is the moment you've all been waiting for the moment we've been hyping up on social media for years Returning guest Mike Koala with the Hippo vs. Koala Showdown. It gets very intense. And then that's followed by the queen of content marketing herself, Anne Hanley, on how to work remotely better than everybody else out there. And finally, something that my dad probably never thought would get released publicly. I'll just say it was recorded during a session to create some ads for the podcast and I'm not quite sure how it got to be in the snippet that you'll hear shortly. Alrighty, we are back for episode 100 with the koala man himself, Mike Koala. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing amazing, and I am glad to be speaking to the hippo himself. Of course. 
Ah, well, hippos love koalas. Koalas love hippos. We all know that. But this is really awesome. We connected a while ago, and you were the guest for episode number six. So now we're into the triple digits, which is pretty crazy. Can you believe it? I mean, I I think uh, we had some technical difficulties during the recording of that episode originally. Did you ever think after that episode that uh, I would still be here podcasting? I never knew there would be uh, an episode seven. So um, (laughs) amazing uh, everything from, you know, just watching this progress and the guests you've had on. It's been an incredible journey to watch. And so I am honored to have been on in the beginning and to to have watched your amazing growth. Oh, well, thank you so much. That means a ton. Very honored for you to be a big part of it. You have helped this podcast more than you could ever imagine. So appreciate it there. So uh, when we had you on, Last time, we talked a lot about more of your origin story and how you went from your days, you know, commuting across the Hudson River and your more Wall Street days to actually becoming an entrepreneur and the different things you're up to. Now, you've created a really cool new thing called Help a Teen. Can you explain what that is? Sure. So, I mean, you know, the essence is we teach the untaught to high school teens. So, let me ask you if you, you know, were to go back and pick a class or two classes different that you would teach if you could teach yourself something in high school, what would that be that would have helped you better as you moved on in your twenties and thirties? What class would you teach? Hmm. Well, I've, I've realized, especially through this podcasting process, how valuable networking and, and communications are. So I think something in, in that space that has real life application to it, I think would be very helpful. So that's an amazing, amazing uh, answer. And so, you know, I've asked that question hundreds of times and I've never once heard science, history, geometry, English. (laughs) You don't hear that, right? And so I've heard amazing stories, but networking is always something that I hear. And so what we've done basically is at Help a Teen is we've created a 10-week program that teaches real world skills. So the media benefit, what parents love about it is that the kids that go through this program, they're getting a completed resume, an actual first version of their resume done within 10 weeks. They get letters of recommendation. They get a whole bunch of things, but the immediate future benefits is that they are getting real world experience because what they're doing is for 10 weeks, they're finding a nonprofit that's close to their heart. And they're going out and with our assistance, with our success mentors, raising awareness for that nonprofit. And in doing so, they're learning how to raise awareness for themselves. So one of the weeks we actually focus on, you know, uh, good old Jim Rohn, your network is what? Your net worth, right? And so as Warren Buffett says, it takes years to build up your network, right? But within moments, you could ruin your network, right? By doing something silly online. And we see that from YouTube influencers and Instagram influencers, right? Overnight, they do something silly and they ruin their their following, right? They'll lose millions of followers. So, you know, that's basically what we're doing and we're doing it in a fun way. So is that they're helping these nonprofits. And by doing that, when you help something bigger and better than yourself, what happens internally, your mental health just skyrockets, which is very close to my heart. And really what I want to do for kids is, you know, help them because there's a lot of stress on high school teens. And they're just not, in my opinion, learning what's going to get them ahead in the future. Yes, grades are important, but what happens when we all have the same grades on paper? How do you stand out? And so that's what our program basically does is we teach them, you know, how to, you know, point the light on themselves. Um, by pointing it on somebody else, which is a nonprofit. And then in turn, they learn how to get ahead in life um, and use those same skills. So it's an amazing uh, program. We're having a lot of fun doing it. And it's been another fun journey being back in the, the trenches. 
Well, that's amazing. And uh, this one seems especially close to your heart. I know you got some some kids and I know that the future of the, the young adults in this world is something that's so important to you. Where's the best place for people to find out more about Help a Teen or, or sign up and, and connect with you about it? Sure. So they can just, you know, we have a, a ton of different, you know, master classes available for free that anybody can join. So, you know, we have one on networking. We have one on, you know, your digital footprint. Um, you know, we bring up a good friend of ours is, uh, you know, Rebecca, right? Rebecca Rubis. Oh, yeah. We bring her up about digital footprint. I use her as an example in one of the lessons. So they can just head over to helpateam.com or they can even the name of the program is called Go Be The One. And so they can go to gobetheone.com and that will also direct them right to um, our various masterclasses. Awesome. Thank you. And shout out to Rebecca Radice as well. And yes, I did pronounce her name right. That's a big win anytime <laughs> we talk about her. So now for the moment you've been waiting for, and we've been hyping up since I was an infant, it feels like the koala versus hippo showdown. Da, 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 da. 3,000 pound hippo versus, you know how much a koala bear actually weighs? Just got to jump right into it. 15 pounds. 15 pounds. Okay. So a 15 pound koala versus a hippo that can be anywhere from 3,300 pounds to 7,000 pounds. Uh, If a hippo is sitting on a koala, we might have some problems here. Exactly. And you guys are faster than koalas too. I don't know if you know that. We are. We are, which you wouldn't guess by looking at hippos, but they can really, really fly. How fast are koalas? Do you know? Uh, Not very fast at all. The average speed is around two to three miles per hour. Um, We can go up to 15, 20 at tops, but um, yeah, it's uh, you guys are average when I Googled it around 20 miles per hour. And you guys eat 80 pounds per day. You eat like three koala bears a day. Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah. You guys taste really good. What can I say? (laughs) did you know hippos are one of the most aggressive and violent and deadly animals in all of africa and all the world really that i did not know koalas are very dangerous too also if um if you piss them off um but i did not (laughs) know that so this would have been i'm sad i didn't go to social media marketing world i mean it would have been great if you know i came in my koala bear outfit and you came in your hippo and we we just had the showdown i mean i guess it sounds like you would have kicked my butt Oh, maybe. Uh, But you can borrow some hippo sweat because hippo sweat actually appears as blood sweat and it works as a moisturizer, uh, sunblock, and also protects against different types of bacteria. So if you ever see a hippo sweating, it actually appears like they're, they're sweating red. Yeah, they are. I mean, did you know that koala bears do not drink water? No, let me take a sip so to celebrate they're getting that. Most of, <laughs> they're getting most of their moisture from the good old leaves that we suck on all day. I mean, we spend 20 hours of our day sleeping, right? The four hours that we're awake, um, did you know that a koala bear male has two penises? Oh. <laughs> the female has two vaginas. The koala bear male is considered one of the seven world's scariest penises in the world. I did not, but that that will change how I think about the world's scariest penises. When they say sex sells, I mean, you got to know your koala facts, right? So Exactly. Uh, Well, and that, because we were talking about adult stuff, did you know hippos claim and mark their territory by defecating and swishing their tails around and spreading that everywhere? And uh, the noise can be 
heard from all the way down the river and uh, people know that's their territory. So it's there you go. You say that koala bears, males have like this mating call between 12 and 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, and that actually is what brings in the female, but the female is actually the dominant one. And, and in fact, that was kind of like the way my wife was towards me. She rejected me for months <laughs> on end. And now I kind of know why, because the female is the dominant one. Well, I... I'm glad that all is smooth in koala land and that is a hilarious uh, <laughs> analogy back to your personal life. But Mike, Mr. Koala, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Really fun having the Hip Overs Koala showdown with you and catching up with you. Last thing, this is a episode 100 edition of Final Thoughts. Go for it. Good things come to those who wait, but only those things left over by those who hustle. Abraham Lincoln, you know, whatever you want to do, it's just, you know, work works, right? So if you're having issues in your business, work works, just get to work. And if your business is going great, just work works, keep going at it. That's my parting advice. But I'd also just like to say congrats for 100. You know, too many people start a podcast and, you know, after three, four episodes, they're done because they're not getting thousands of downloads or hundreds of thousands. And, you know, work works, right? Back to what we just said a moment ago. And, you know, I want to congratulate you on 100. And, you know, I look forward to coming on to number 1000 in a, a couple of years. You work from home. Do you still work from home? Yes. Yes, I do. I built a tiny house in my backyard because <laughs> the working from home thing can get old sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I switch up my venue by crossing my backyard, going out to my tiny house, and I work out of there sometimes. I can't stand working out of coffee shops or lunch places or like right. you know, Starbucks or places where a lot of my friends who work from home go. The, the sound drives me crazy. I don't like having people around. I like silence. So it's a problem right. too when my family is around because I like being upstairs. I don't like anybody breathing near me. So oh, that well, sorry for me. that. Yeah. Well, no, when I'm working, I mean, so <laughs> if you were in my family, that would get to be a problem um, because they okay. apparently like to breathe. So yeah. So I built this tiny house in my bedroom, Noted. which is fantastic. It's the best thing I ever did because it allows me to be home without necessarily being home. It also gives me an opportunity to change up my surroundings every, yeah. whenever I feel like I need it. You know how sometimes you get stuck, you're working on something, you'll be writing right. something and you sort of get to that point where it's like, ugh. So, you know, <laughs> what I often will do is, is just take a trek to the backyard, um, walk across the lawn, plug my laptop in out there and it just often will just uh, reboot my day. Hi, this is Joanne, Max's mother. When he was a little boy, we used to sit around with a plastic radio and pretend about podcasting. I didn't even know what podcasting was. And now look at this. I'm so proud. He's traveled the world, graduated college, and now he's a podcaster. The first branch debtor who's a podcaster. I could do this all day. <laughs> you that, might, got? that might be the final. Oh my God, Dad! <laughs> wow. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Anne, and thank you, Dad. Thank you very much. Believe it or not, that was the episode 100 special of the Wild Business Growth Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It truly warms my heart. Again, we could not be here without you, and we cannot wait for the next 100 episodes and beyond. If you enjoyed this episode, 
take a moment to introduce it to a friend. It's a great place to start and a great place to continue. Here's to the next 100. Until next time, take it away, Dana. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! (laughs) 